This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. So I was a guy that, as a kid, really only dealt with pumpkin pie. I didn't really explore tarts, muffins. Oh, gosh, no, too dry. The pie had so much filler. So I could even, when I had too much of it, pretend it was getting closer to the chocolate cake, uh, chocolate pie, excuse me, because it had that kind of texture, at least the way my mom made it. Now, another expert on pumpkin, different other ways of consuming it, Ramya Muthan. Now, Mm. I mean, pumpkin's not as much your favorite as raisins, but... Oh, okay, good. You're being sarcastic. Yeah, Mm. I'm being sarcastic. Jess, uh, which pumpkin thing do you particularly like? I don't have a pumpkin thing that I particularly not like. Not a favorite. Mm. You, you won't touch pumpkin at all? You don't like it at I, all? It's not okay. that I don't like it either. I, I'm Guys, not sure. Guys, don't bring if... that piece of pie into her, will you? Whoa, whoa. Now, now. I will take it and try it. I have <laughs> I had good pumpkin so. pie. It, it's just, I don't know if this is a popular opinion. Are people kind of so-so about pumpkin? I hear people either love it or don't prefer it at all. But I so, seriously do have this take it point. or leave it. I only really liked pie. And again, it's one of those things, you know, how I go on about pasta, I can over overdose on it. Mm-hmm. No, no, a few spaghetti, particularly a few forkfuls, I'm done. Pumpkin is the same thing. I love the taste of it at first. But if someone said, well, you got to eat this half a pie, it's got to be thrown out. You got to finish it. Are you crazy? Oh, no, yeah, way. right. Just a sampling right? of. Yeah, pumpkin. like a, a nice slice. But I never would explore other than that. Um, nowadays, if someone has a pumpkin tart, yeah, maybe because I could pretend. If someone it's has small enough too, right? Tart, yeah, is not a big it's just helping. Enough. Muffin buries the taste a little, but I don't know. It's still not my go-to. Um, but this is the point. This is what I was kind of thinking. Like you, I don't know anyone who is all in on pumpkin. Yeah, it's a filling. Well, I do know people who love pumpkin, like pumpkin over apple, huge discussions, pumpkin spice lattes, pumpkin, but pumpkin, pumpkin. one thing or two, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Not and, everything pumpkin. Exactly. You, and here, you eat anything chocolate, as long exactly. as it didn't crawl. Exactly. Gross. Um, but <laughs> I also want to say that I have more experience eating pumpkin savory, by the way, than sweet. Like pumpkin curries Ooh. and pumpkin, uh, not like roasted uh, and things like that in cuisine as a savory yep. dish over pumpkin tart, pumpkin pie, or the fall pumpkin Tastes dynamic. Tastes so different, though, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still because a sweeter vegetable, kind of garbage, like right? the squash and such, but yeah. Yeah, but what we know is pumpkin, like, it obviously has all sorts of other things there, your latte or, or mm-hmm. your pie. It's still, it's pumpkin, it's what we call pumpkin, but all the other associated spices and stuff are in there. Yes, so. yes, yeah. Interesting. Well, folks, uh, just a thought, just was thinking about how many things I've enjoyed over the years that are pumpkin and all the things that I've snubbed my nose at. Let's see what we've got coming up on today's edition of Kelly and Ramya. Greg David, he's going to stop by to talk about five Halloween-themed TV shows or movies to check out. We have the fall colors thinking about Cappadocia Turkey. Specifically, J.J. Hunt, our audio describer, is thinking about that place. It's a place filled with strange rock formations, and people build homes into them and carve homes into them. He's going to tell us more when he joins us for our travel segment. 
You know what people say, don't be last to apply when it comes to a job. We discuss this on our CNIB Come to Work segment later on in hour two right here on Kelly and Ramya. So we've heard a lot. And I know so many of you out there who may not necessarily be fans have said, I've heard enough. And now, if you're a sports fan, Taylor Swift is crossing into the NFL, as we spoke about with Corinne on the program. Taylor Swift soared to the top of the charts, and live performance uh, with sales with, with her heiress tour uh, have really blown up. Of course, though, don't count out classical music fans for also driving up ticket sales. Look out, Taylor Swift. Another artist is rivaling the pop performer's power to push ticket sales sky high. Cellist Yo-Yo Ma fans willing to pay a hefty price to see him take the stage. Resale ticket prices for his upcoming concert in Hong Kong fetching as much as $2,200 a ticket for resale websites like Viagogo. That's in line with sales fans paid to see Swift's Eras Tour, the success of the Eras Tour now playing in movie theaters. Michelle Franz and ABC News. So, first of all, $2,200, but as we know, obviously, you could get on the secondary markets tickets at that price for Taylor Swift, especially once everything's sold out. Mm -hmm. and you're like, I need them, I need them. We get that. Uh, obviously, you wouldn't pay that kind of money. I'm not necessarily saying for Taylor for Swift. Anybody. I don't know. Would you do it for Beyonce? Never. No. Sorry. Okay. All right. So, we know there's the Beyonce film coming out as well later in the year. We know... Taylor Swift right now making it so so well in the theaters. I want to say nine million, I believe, last weekend. Ooh. However, uh, what do you think of this trend of let's do a tour? And this isn't brand new. We've seen it done before. We've and then make a, a film out of it. Come from that. Yeah, make a film. At least make an album out of out of tours and stuff like that. What do you, What do you think? Is I mean, it's the smartest. What part thing of it do. would interest you? It no, okay, but the what business part of it would interest it. you the most? The business right. part of it, right? Uh -huh. Like, she is a brilliant businesswoman, and she is uh -huh. doing an incredible job just maxing out and squeezing every penny out of her fans, out of adjacent fans, as you said, with the NFL, uh, out of, like, entertainment, out of gossip factor out of just saying hey guys this is what i'm doing i'm trying to make money i'm trying to make the most money i'm trying to make astronomical headlines out here and she's doing all of it i, okay. I she's not stopping what would be your reason for beyonce just because you're a solid fan same thing yeah okay yes 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 for beyonce it's because i'm personally invested like the same way that people are invested in taylor swift i i'm just never a die I'm not a diehard hard fan of anybody or anything big enough to spend this kind of dough on a concert, on an experience. But yes, I could. I feel energetically connected to Beyonce the same way that people are like, I will travel the world to go see this particular tour, this particular moment in history um, and experience it with Taylor Swift. And people are doing that with the theaters, right? If they couldn't make it to the concert, like I have a, I don't know, Six friends going to the the Saturday um, theater show of this film, and they're as excited as if it was this was a concert. Three hours. I know because that's, that's, the way, that's the way you're supposed to feel, right? Two hours and forty-seven minutes. But that's oh what God. you're supposed to feel ah. with it. So, Yo Yo Ma, release a movie. Let's say they were doing that. Are we looking at there are people who, as you say, to see Taylor Swift, you're more interested in the business side of it. Mm -hmm. 
to see Beyonce, you would be interested as a fan, that person that, hey, man, I'm not going to pay, you know, you've seen Beyonce. But in I concert. love her. You're not yeah. going to pay huge money, but you love her. So you would go see it on a different, with a different eye. Yes, on absolutely. Very cool. Awesome. It's not really going to go to the theater, so. Not going to pay money to go to the theaters to see Beyonce. I no, will do that way, my own home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got everything there. <laughs> Almost. Like, I missed but the concert anyway, anyway so. Made a Sono system a little bigger. <laughs> right. But, and the sub, certainly. <laughs> anyway, uh, the bottom line is I think it's going to be very interesting to see what people, what is the reason? Who's dragging them there? Just like anything, for, for what reason? Is it the in thing to do or like yourself? I want to see all the other. This is a person who there's within the storyline itself a business person, a cool way of handling things. Okay. Coming up next on the program, how can schools ensure that students with complex care needs, needs, excuse me, are included? Grant Hardy, he's going to discuss as he joins us from Vancouver after this. Remember, live here at 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, first repeated show, 10 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and on AMI-tv. Wherever you are checking us out in Canada, via the TV side, or around the world even on AMI-audio. Thanks a lot for being with us. So appreciate it. When you have time, subscribe to the podcast so that you can listen anytime to the show. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the program. Let's welcome in from Vancouver now as we look at some headlines, Mr. Grant Hardy. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. Reporter and producer for our program, bringing to us all sorts of items direct from the West. Hello, sir. Hello, folks. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> what were you going to say, Grant? <laughs> what was on is your mind? Is it just ironic? Is it ironic to say Happy Wednesday? Is that what it is? I just love it. It was like there was something else he wanted to say like and maybe thought a better of it. Maybe different adjective. Maybe not happy. Yeah. Maybe I didn't even want to throw Wednesday in. Yeah, maybe just good day. <laughs> well, yeah. Mr. Hardy, where do you want to start? Yeah, to be honest, this is kind of a bit of a tough uh read in a tough subject um so kind of one of those things where it's hard to kind of tell what uh mood i should be in i guess after right. uh, reading this but essentially there's uh a group called the bc ed or education access society uh and they have done a survey they collected data from 406 respondents uh, mostly parents but also several students who participated in the survey and they found that in the 2022 to 2023 school year there were uh many incidents of students with complex care needs having incidents in school either being like denied access to field trips or having a shorter uh, school day, uh, or not being able to attend school at all, but basically being uh, excluded from school, public school, uh, due to a number of issues, including a shortage of education assistance across BC. Uh, and uh, they're basically saying this is a crisis, and it has increased from the 
previous year. So for example, there's uh, a, uh, an example of a parent whose child has to be fed with a feeding tube. Uh, and they're saying that there's some sort of new policy from the Ministry of Health where uh, kids who have to be tube fed have to be given food from a machine, which is not this child's typical uh, uh, diet. Uh, so that's causing some uh, problems. But also if the school cannot fill with an education assistant, they call that uh, apparently there's a term uh, failure to fill uh, mm-hmm. which essentially means that they have uh, they have sort of some leverage to uh, exclude those kids. Also, uh, there have been no improvements on the rates of restraint and seclusion, meaning the physical restraint and isolation of children with uh, complex needs, uh, usually because a child is exhibiting some sort of unwanted behavior or aggressive, a negative what they reaction. Deem aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, uh, or they, something. Yeah. 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 They say, quote, it's really traumatic on kids. Like, gee, you don't say. Uh, so essentially, that they're saying uh, that this is a crisis. We really have to uh, do something to improve it, either train more educational assistants. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, basically improve this untenable situation in some other way. Failure to fill. Wow. Mm. So with failure to fill, it's kind of along the lines that we don't have enough school bus drivers, so I guess you don't get to go into school today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's essentially it. Well, there's so uh, many bottom so. lines here, right? Where it's like, oh, there's no EA, she's missing school. There's no uh, buddy to help her, support her in this particular class, she misses school. There's no transportation, she misses school. They don't have a solution on how she can participate in something, she misses school. So the the easy way out or everything, A, B, C, or D, equals to these students missing school. Right. That is the common denominator uh the the exhibiting or, whatever you want to call it is you have to sit the stuff out and mm-hmm. can't be with anyone else because you or, are upsetting the others that's it like either missing school or like attending school but essentially you know being a seat warmer like you're mm-hmm. you're not able to go on this field trip because we don't have accommodations or heaven forbid restrain people i'm not even sure that means what i think it means it's the 21st century i don't know or uh isolate uh isolate people in a room on their own and it's one of these things things like field trips right that a child has to sit out because oh we failure to fill there's not someone here to go with you all the other kids wait bye bye yeah it's one of those things where uh, you know like it's hard to blame you know mrs smith who's like you know sick today and it's not her fault it's hard to blame sort of the little guys even if i do think somehow there there is a little bit of a culture of like you know does inclusion really matter here that you know some sort of ableist like culture that some Mm. people have but definitely in terms of the system i wonder if maybe you know increased pay increased train training increased sort of recruitment and some kind of a cultural shift would be helpful because i do think you know for a lot of people with very complex needs like school is 
school is sort of a gateway where mm. you can have some of the most opportunities in your life. Like as you get older, life gets scarier, you know, Harder. more difficult, yeah. Yeah. more isolating. There's a lot of things. Boy, I love this it bad is... language you were using earlier. You know, school, I, I, you know, the isolation, the, you know, oh my goodness, you know, the some of these words that people just hate to hear, but it all adds up to, as you said, Grant, people sitting out. Go ahead, Ron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, if we're not utilizing these opportunities, as you said, Grant, um, of younger school years and mm. newer students, to educate the the advocacy, to, um, to educate around inclusion, to educate other parents, teachers, educators, period, uh, around how to, you know, think outside the box that we've so clearly squeezed ourselves into, then how do you expect things to get better as we get, like, step into society and other worlds of life as we get older? And other stages, it's it's so yeah. complicated and frustrating. Um, you're only getting into further and further holes with this kind of attitude. But I wonder, you know, systematically, how can we change this situation? Yeah, there's shortages shortages of EAs, uh, educational assistants, and shortages money. of people being trained and the money, money and all these other aspects that are adding to this. Uh, you know how awful the situation is, and I wonder if we could just almost blanket and say every school needs x amount of eas period so that we the bottom line at least you know is lifted right with the kind of assistance you get because what happens here at least what i'm aware of is uh, people are assigned like particular specialists or eas are assigned to students and maybe that approach is making it difficult more difficult on the kids I, I- I think that's done in the sense of obviously who might literally need someone with sure. more than maybe somebody else. And then you look at, okay, per capita, this many students, this, but it's so need-based. And unfortunately, because you could have a school that's going to have more persons with, with who have the complex um, needs that, that need that help. And then they'll stick to the standard of, well, for a school this size, this many were to have so many, there's got to be more flexibility, more openness, and a, and a view of by a school board, by the system. This is important for all the reasons you've both said why we need to be in school. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's just one of those situations where it's hard not to have like an equal system across the board like obviously in the mainstream it would be hard to say you know we're going to give this person you know different education or whatever than this mm-hmm. this, this other person so I, I i get that it has to be kind of systematic but it is always hard with um those um those i you talked to someone uh quite a while ago who who studied uh you know systems and uh basically found that uh you know when when a system is too uniform like too identical across the board people always fall through the cracks oh yeah definitely Um, so yeah that's that's certainly something and i i guess just all the stuff we were talking about money recruitment but certainly like a cultural shift like i i do think that perhaps there's an element in, in society that would say you know like how much does dare i say how much does it matter i think that might be on mm-hmm. some, some that, people's you're talking brains. about a baseline mm-hmm. right 
I think that we've now, the the bar for the baseline is so low. Like when I hear, when you see some of the stats in this um, article, Grant, and how many incidents where children or students are missing school, missing uh, classes, uh, EAs are not available, whatever it is, like all the combinations of different things that add as incidents for it being problematic just for us to identify, it is wild. Like it's in the thousands in the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Uh, years. So our baseline for, you know, oh, well, they're just going to have to miss school is ridiculous to mm-hmm. me. It's really yeah. ridiculous because there's also laws about being in school. How do you make a, exactly. a, you know, a person right with a disability to education. exempt because, and that's it exactly. It's, it is it is a real shift of, okay, we understand the difficulties. How come we don't work with the difficulties of hiring more people, paying better, or whatever? How do we get around those challenges so this is not a failure to fill circumstance that we just, oh, failure to fill. Hey, yeah, you get to stay home and watch Nickelodeon. No, that's not, that's not, that's not mm. enough. Yes. Thanks, Grant. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Grant Hardy bringing us, as he put uh, at the top, a very difficult article, difficult solutions that they would seem to be based on our society as a based on Ramya really what we, we know what to do. Mm. We know how to help the situation. Um, we know what we need. Attracting, yeah. And you know, even if we don't know what to people, do. Well, I I think we do. It's finding the people. It's attracting Mm -hmm. people to it by paying more and making it a system that works. Coming up next, lady. Oh, sorry. Grant Hardy joins us on Mondays and Wednesdays to flip through headlines. You want to check him out again here on the program. He's back on Monday. Coming up next, Greg David stops by to talk about five Halloween themed shows uh, and some movies as well. We'll talk to him in two minutes. Welcome back to the program, folks. Glad you are here. Remember, subscribe to the podcast while you're in there. Give us a rating and review. We always appreciate any fine comments. I've had some wonderful ones lately as we're working our way and your way through the week. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. And we, every other week, like to get to some television. The best person to do that with is AMI communication specialist, Greg David. I'm Greg David, and I love TV. Join me on Kelly and Ramya, where we talk about the biggest hits, misses, and trends in television and entertainment. Five Halloween-themed TV shows or movies to check out leading up to October 31st. Uh, Greg, I feel like you're an expert on this topic, are you? Not (laughs) TV in general, but like spooky stuff. Yeah, this is the time of year when, uh, you know, the the leaves change, it starts getting colder and darker and Halloween gets closer and I like it. But mainly, uh, in addition to the the, the spooky stuff that we're going to talk about, is uh, I like the, you know, the boxes of chocolate that you buy to hand out to the quote unquote kids in your neighborhood. We are the kids. And instead of the kids in your house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got I've got two I've got two boxes of 50 pieces each under my uh, tucked into my desk here. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, Greg is the um, king of one for you, two for me. Mm-hmm. Get away. You <laughs> exactly. Yours. Don't as overeat. Come on. It's not good it's for not you. it's not coffee crisp. Let's start with, for our top five, The Fall of the House of Usher. This is available on Netflix now, and it's the latest uh, series from Mike Flanagan, who previously made The Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor uh, for Netflix. And this one is a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. So how faithful is it to... Um, the Edgar Allan Poe material? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, before we get into that, it's it, it, like like the, the fall, uh, like the haunting of Hill House and the haunting of Bly, Man- Bly uh, Manor. Mike Flanagan really takes that source material, and in this case, the the Edgar Allan Poe short story, and really expands on it because uh, we're going to get into it a little bit more. But the fall of the House of Usher is at its core about the Usher family befalling a curse. But in the case of the television show, Patriarch Roderick Usher isn't the only one that's cursed. He has six adult children from different wives who all fall victim to this curse. And uh, the kids were not part of the original Post story. Mm. Uh, so that's an addition. And also the show's been updated to modern day. Mm. It's interesting with the um, original too, because a lot of what most of us know are versions for TV, for radio, whatever they may have been back in the day. So th- they're almost even more simplified um so with mike flanagan dealing with this and wanting to update it to modern times how has he done this so roderick usher owns a pharmaceutical company so that's very top of mind right now when we see about some of the lawsuits that are happening down in the u.s um his children are all spoiled they've all been given all this money because the family's so successful but they really don't do a whole lot they just kind of swan around going to parties and uh, and holding parties and things like that uh and uh when we meet up with the usher family in the first episode uh roderick's company is being taken to court by an assistant u.s district attorney and so when it kind of comes down to it, it, remind me, it reminded me a bit about the setup of succession. So if you think about the succession lines, but with a lot of gore and blood and scary moments in it, then then you're kind of getting an idea of what the the fall of the House of Usher is like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and other reviewers mentioned that each episode of this show kind of nod to other Poe short stories. How does it rely, relate to the arc of the story if you've also noticed this? Yeah, yeah, and this is really kind of cool. Mike Flanagan tends to throw Easter eggs into all of his shows, mm-hmm. and this one is 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 much like that. Uh, the original House of Usher, like I said, was a short story, so there really isn't enough to cover eight episodes. So mm-hmm. what Mike Flanagan has done has he's ingeniously interwoven other. Poe short stories into this season. So uh, there's an episode called The Murders at Rue Morgue, an episode right. called The Mask of the Red Death, another one called The the Black Cat, uh, The Telltale Heart, and The Pit and the Pendulum. So those are all short stories that were written by Edgar Allan Poe, and they're all worked into separate episodes of The Fall of the House of Usher, and the overarching theme is the story of this patriarch and how this curse ended up befalling him. And the other kind of fun part about it is that there's some character names from across the Poe universe that are nice. featured in this as well. And uh, two so far in the episodes that I've watched are uh, a lawyer named Arthur Pym and uh, and the uh, U.S. District Attorney. His name is Auguste Dupin. So again, if you're a Poe fan, then you're you're going to be you know be, kind of be giggling over all the references that are in this show. Hitting the pendulum. I think that's probably my favorite. But, you know, he was all into the burying you alive, right? So I, yes. I see where the idea of using this kind of mechanism would actually really attract. Because when I saw that this was out, I thought, the heck, what could you do with that and make a series? So it, kind of interesting. And then when you modernize it, um, are you loving this as much as you loved Flanagan's other two series for Netflix? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's really well written. It's creepy. It's compelling. There's a killer soundtrack. So the music is fantastic as well. And the cast, I've really been loving the cast. Bruce Greenwood, the Canadian actor, is in this. He plays Roderick Usher. He's fantastic. Uh, Carla Gugino, who has been in these other projects for Flanagan for Netflix, is fantastic. She's in it. Carl Lumbly is great. Uh, Henry Thomas, who is in the other two versions that Flanagan has done for Netflix, it stars in this, as well as Mark Hamill. He actually plays wow. the lawyer Arthur Pym, and he is great. And the most important thing to me was it made me reach out and dig out my uh, complete works of Edgar Allan Poe mm. so that I could uh, kind of flip through it. And I'm planning on rereading that after I'm done watching the show. That's what I would think is one of the best and, and brilliant parts of this is getting people to revisit Edgar Allan Poe. Like maybe he was, you know, part of your mandatory school reading or whatever, right? Growing yeah. up. Um, but I don't this, know what school you'd go to. Oh, no, um, he was, though, he at was, one he point. Was, no, he, they were, though. Felt they were, hard such yeah Yeah, but it was it's definitely like a a great nod to something like this right like real you know literature not to literature but also his own creative uh techniques to make this work right now and also the trust because we have the other two shows do you know if midnight club and midnight mass were mike flanagan yeah they absolutely were were, right okay yeah, it's cool that you brought both of those up. So those are originals by him, so not based on any I source see. material like the other shows. But And I liked both of those programs as well. Oh, he's just, yeah, he's just getting a, a great reputation on Netflix out here. Next up, number two on your list is Creature, and this is coming to Netflix this Friday. It's loosely based on the Frankenstein story. It's a series. What else can you tell us about it? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I've only seen the trailer for it. That's all that's been available. And uh, it's a Turkish original uh, sci-fi-ish drama horror series uh, created by and uh, created and directed by a gentleman named Isan Imarak. I hope that I pronounced his, his name right. Uh, and here's the official synopsis. With its epic story created in the early 1900s and stretching from Bursa to Istanbul, Creature focuses on one of the most fundamental questions of humanity death and beyond and so we're going to follow an adventurous and rebellious and excited young medical student named zia and uh he uh is a very good physician and has cured many epidemics that medicine couldn't find a cure for to this point and uh, he meets up with a possibly mad but genius doctor named ishan uh who he meets in istanbul and the two of them work together uh they say that it's uh, the synopsis says that these eccentric and wounded souls will pay a heavy price for the secret and forbidden experiment they embarked on together. So there you go. Mm. If that isn't enough to get you excited about it. (laughs) That's fantastic. All right. So it's so cool that Netflix is going to other countries for their content. It allows uh, creators from a country like Turkey to be able to showcase their talent and, and content to the rest of the world. Uh, next project that you want to talk about here is No One Will Save You. And uh, this is a sci fi ho- film uh, and it's uh, on Disney. Want to give us the rundown, Greg? Yeah, for sure. So No One Will Save You stars Caitlin Deaver as Bryn. And uh, she lives in the family home that she grew up in. And she's living in it alone after the death of her mother. Uh, she makes and sells dresses on Etsy. And uh, she's got, uh, she's building a small model town in her living room. Talk about and 2023. She What's that? 
talk about 2023 selling stuff on Etsy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she doesn't like to go into her small town because the people there give her a sidelong glance and even in one case spit in her face. So that Ooh. hints it's that something has happened in that town years ago. And yeah. uh, one night she's awakened by strange noises outside and discovers that aliens have landed and are taking over the local population. So there's the, the elevator pitch as to what uh, no one will save you is all about. Yeah, I guess you got to put in all the real life stuff and then squeeze in that. Oh, yes, aliens. So how yeah, exactly. <laughs> just for your little tint of War of the Worlds, yeah. here we go. Yeah. yeah. Right. She's just like a regular woman selling stuff on Etsy and then... Well, um, well not really liked in her town, so now she yeah, can... Yeah, that's you true, know, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Know. She's got all that going for her as well. She can tell how? the this guys, talk to the hand. How is this show? We're brutal. We red light, green light, even when we're not supposed to on these segments. Um, How is No One Will Save You different from other alien abduction films? Uh, the first thing is that there's very little dialogue in this uh, because the character of Brynn is, is on her own for most of the uh, most of the time. Uh, she doesn't talk to anybody. I think it's 39 words are uttered in the whole movie. Are you serious? And yeah, yeah. And and unlike other projects in this genre, Brynn actually fights back against the aliens, uh, which is really cool. Every time they try to get her, she gets back at them. Uh, it's a really effective and very well done movie that you should definitely be checking. Checking out on Disney Plus. So everybody's sitting there saying, yeah. "Well, hold on, hold on." So many of us are hanging out there with not knowing what goes on, how she get back. So Greg then whistle a little dialogue. What is the audio description like? Yeah, I was really interested in finding this out. So uh, it's fantastic. Uh, it is very descriptive of the action and Bryn's facial expression. And I was really, really impressed. And one other setting that I came upon on Amazon, that, uh, or yeah, I guess this is an Amazon thing that I wish that other streaming systems would do like Disney, is that you can actually up the um, uh, the dialogue oh, and, the down yeah. the, and down the sound. Um, that was something I came upon on, on Amazon. I know I'm getting a little bit off topic because because we're talking about uh, described video, but that's something that I love the other that I would love the other services to do because uh, I found it really effective. But yeah, getting back to to this movie, uh, definitely I love the uh, the audio description on it. Very very well done. What a challenge for describers. Yes. Sort of like what we always yeah. say about a musical, right? Where you yep. don't have any dialogue except the singing and what you can get oh. from that. But boy, as a as somebody writing the descriptive script, wow. There are episodes of, you know, full series where sometimes they have like the one episode that's silent or something. They all go on a mm -hmm. silent retreat. And now the audio describers, <laughs> um, the teams have to that full episode is a, a huge uh, kind of deep dive into audio description. Right. Um, yeah. You have two more projects to talk about. Next up is Goosebumps on Disney Plus. And the this is the latest series based on the horror stories by R.L. Stein. What a throwback. Uh, what is it yeah. on? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, so unlike the 1995 TV series and the original source material, this version of Goosebumps is not self-contained episodes. It is a series long. Uh, it's a season long story about five high school students who unleash supernatural forces upon their small town. And of course, they must all work together to stop those forces. Uh, it is Okay. Uh, Justin Long is one of the leads in this, and he's really good playing an English teacher who moves into the haunted house that uh, a family member of his once died in. The rest of the cast is a little bit cookie cutter, as are some of their performances. Uh, it's gory and has some funny moments. 
And it is entertaining as a standalone project, but under that Goosebumps banner, that umbrella, mm. I think that it doesn't live up to those expectations. Because if you look back at how good the books were and the original television series, um, it, there was a movie a few years ago that was made. But I, I really don't think that this series uh, you know, uh, lives up to the hype, the Goosebumps hype, which is why I tuned into it in the first place. Not even for the reputation. Oh, sorry, for the nostalgia. No, because there really is no nod back to the original material. I mean, there is the... the there is going to be the the uh, the clown, the marionette um, that that pops up in the season. But yeah, I mean, this could be any other um, horror series without sure. goosebumps. You don't need the goosebumps in there. But I know why it's there. It's to drive people to the show in Obviously. the first place. Right. Yeah. 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 All right, Gregor, we got about 30 seconds. The last show on your list is a little bit more educational. Why the yeah. heck are you including CBC's <laughs> The Nature of Things? <laughs> Of this episode, which you can check out on CBC Gem right now, it's an old episode and it's called The Science of Fear, and it delves into why we like to be scared in the first place. Uh, the, the experts talk about the fear of going on roller coasters and the reason why we do that. And in relation to what we've been talking about this segment, all about why we like to watch scary movies and scary TV shows. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. People can check it out. It all has to do with our body chemistry and also that fight or flight that is mm-hmm. has been in us since uh, we've been around. Well, the psychology of fear is like a never-ending conversation. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Got through it. The top five uh, spooky slash horror TV shows and movies to check out before Halloween hits and we no longer feel like we want to indulge in these things. Wow. What a description heavy. That's cool. That's an experiment in itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Folks, uh, coming up next, the toy industry has taken on a new role among the mental health crisis. How so? Bill Shackleton is here. He'll explain on the buzz. Rami is at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald at the home studio here in London. Anastasia is filling in for Irene today, directing the show. And it's always fun when we're getting counted back in. Today you get the chorus of counts. I want a recording of that. It's just like a choir. We got to share that with the, with the audience sometime. That that you guys are all in rhythm. Sounds so cool. And yes, I know you do it every day, several times a day. It's not new, Kelly. I know, but anyway, I I don't get to hear it like that all the time. It was great. Did you hear it? Mm. Do you notice those things? No, you're too busy messing with something else. <laughs> Probably. Shaq, do you? Oh, you don't get to hear any of that stuff over there on Zoom. Billy Shacklin joins us Wednesday through Friday on the program. We call, well, you don't want him Wednesday through Friday? Billy Shacklin joins us Monday through, oh. Hearing the back channel and such. You don't want to hear it anymore? We should have guests be able to hear it. Oh, Shaq, hear all the stuff. No, no, with all the stuff you say about Bill. Hey, Billy, how are you today? Good things. Doing good, doing good. He believes me. You wouldn't want to listen to all the carrying on and all that. Bill, he's like, why is there so many people running their mouth? I wouldn't mind. Exactly. Okay. All right, Bill. Next week, he'll be taking a trip in there to sit in the middle of the control room. Because Why not? Bill, you're always invited over here. And then he'll start counting Uh, and mimicking everyone. I still want to get to the end of the booth. Um, So maybe next Wednesday. Oh, right. uh, Yeah. yeah. Why don't you go sit in there with a moothin? Why not? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask. We put it all out yeah, here, nothing. so that's right. You can't refuse Billy. An OG. Shaq, where are we starting? Amid a mental health crisis, toy industry takes on a new role. So basically, because of the pandemic, 
um, toy makers are basically changing the way they are. They make toys. So they used to focus on arts, entertainment, science, and math. There is a group of people called um, MESH. Um, MESH stands for basically um, mental, emotional, social health. Mm. And this is this is different from the, what I told you about STEAM, because parents are looking for ways that um, they can help their kids, um, you know, deal with the pandemic and the post-pandemic. So basically, they are a lot of you, you might have these toys in your in the toy box um, now. But you wouldn't think that they would be used for that. You might think they were just toys to be used. You know what I mean? Like you, you might not, they might not be related to what they could be used for, if you know what mm. I mean. Like some of these toys are fun, but could they be actually used for something else? I mean, it, I don't know if this sounds cynical, but aren't all toys used for something like you can find the purpose in any kind of play right where you often talk about um educating through play and learning through play and you know the braille uh bricks lego bricks etc etc lots and lots of examples to point to and yes it's really about finding the purpose delivering it with purpose and acknowledging that we can do these things in with these approaches but do we really have to categorize toys to make that uh, prevalent? Well, I think accor according to the article, and I sort of, I think we do, um, because we're getting, we need to get away from the arts and entertainment and science aspect of toys because, and and I think we, it, this goes back to the pandemic. We need to get into um, puzzle games. We need to get into memory games. I think we need to teach kids more about solving problems. And I mean, although, although as, as, as you know, I guess a lot of toys do that. But yeah, like they, inertially. This, like if you're yeah. taking part in a puzzle game, you know that it is good for your cognitive uh, practice and muscle building that way. Yeah, I guess, I guess this group of people, they want um, mesh toys certified by 2024. And I guess they're more specifically geared toward helping people emotionally. But what does um, that opposed... mean? Mm -hmm. Like, do we have any examples of what this specifically means versus, I don't know, playing with action figures? Um, well, not that, not that I can come up with. And um, that's what I find to be the challenge. It's to complement other toys, right? So what would one kind of be? I know we used to always say, get get someone... Uh, what was it called? A, a, you know, Bop It or or yeah. Simon, because it got you your rhythm. It yeah, got hand you eye coordination. hand and eye coordination, mm. all those things. So I, I get those, but I think those would fall under, well, that's the science of, of but not really, because not you're really. there's so much right, overlap. Stimulation of your mind. Socially, we know that you're supposed to learn things like how to share, how to do, and that's outside of the toys. But how does this toy allow you to coordinate bricks together, color maybe, or mm -hmm. feel or shape or whatever? So I, I, I think that I wonder if it's more of a, these are more of a style of, of toys when you are at that point. Because you know how we put the age 
quantification on. These are for kids one to three, you know, whether it's safe, and I don't think it's all safety, but what they grow from that that toy, I, I would think. So I guess including mesh is kind of one of those abilities to self-check um, and manufacturers to say, well, we're making X number of toys that fall into the mesh category. Am I kind of right there, Bill? I, I, I guess so. And I mean, this is relatively, um, I believe, relatively new. And it'll be interesting to see how, I mean, toy makers are responding to, apparently they are responding to this sort of need for because it gives them guidance. Type of thing. It's guidance, but I'm worried that it's going to become too much of an instruction manual. You mm-hmm. know, you pick up this toy, you look at the label, and you say, this is what it's going to do for me or my kid or my grandfather. And it becomes part of the description of the toy. Uh-huh. And, and part of, of the promise of the toy. Right. And then well, you actually, get to it, yeah. and it doesn't deliver because... Remember, it's personal experience, right? Like mm-hmm. what I get like from... Like what we were talking about before. Everyone's different... With video games. Need. Remember, we're talking mm-hmm. about video games. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It's more about the acknowledgement and the awareness and maybe the conversations we're having around the nuances of these experiences versus, you know, this is what this toy is going to do for you. Pick it up. That That's... That's challenging. That's problematic, I would say. Yeah, I, I love the guidance, but part of it, if that really happens, as opposed to Rumya, as we know often, if you're doing audio description, you'll have A, B, C, D. Well, yeah, but my need of audio description is going to vary from Billy. Absolutely. What I think, A, B may be more important to me than A. And your connection so you to audio description it. altogether. Right. It varies from right. person to person, so much so that obviously, you know, we're offering audio description, we're offering options for it, but uh, that's really the only parallel. Like how I it's take it personal. might be completely exactly different from you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well folks, the one, check it out. Well, go ahead, Bill. The, the one thing, though, that, that, that is interesting that some parents are afraid that some of these toys, and to your point, uh, Ramya, that they may not. Um, do what they're supposed to yeah. do. Maybe they won't have. Yeah. So they can't seem to see how this. They can't. Right? Yeah. That's like saying, hey, man, we got a bunch of balls here. You're going to be good at one of these sports. No, you may not be. Put mm-hmm. the ball down. That may and not this may be not be for you at all. Or do. You know, exactly. like we're talking about coping with mental health as one of the aspects, right, of these toys being categorized under mesh. And maybe toys are not the way that you want to cope. Toys are not what right. you're going to turn to altogether. Right. So it becomes that's almost right. a, a pressure Yep, you may be more at the puzzles, games, and, and yes. that's why I hate when they lump everything together. That's I, what I'm saying. Kid, We're boxing. I never believed puzzles were the same as, as I didn't count them as a toy. Mm. They were an educational tool to teach me how to do to reason. Yeah. And I was okay with that at, you know, five, six years old and understanding that. Yeah, I, well, I really do. Yeah. Sorry, just to, to cap this on my end, uh, I really do want to acknowledge that it's great we're saying, you know, the mental health, uh, emotional and some kind of support be offered through these avenues. I just don't think that on the other end of it uh, that we're doing ourselves a favor by saying, and it will do this or, you know, yeah, look and, and towards these tools. Those listening in, you do want to check Mesh out because, again, we're, we're surmising. We yeah. are certainly far from experts on it. Um, we're filled like you probably listening in with, with a bunch of queries on it, too. Mm. Sir, Billy. Um, someday your boss could help you save for emergencies. This is kind of an interesting article. Um, so how many people, uh, you know, have an emergency funds and this is, this is a pandemic related. Yeah. Um, because 
how many people have an emergency fund? Um, and if you get sick, what's going to happen? So companies are um, have started to help their employees save for emergencies. And I'm not talking about retirement savings plans because when you take money out of retired savings, you lose the interest. No, this is something that is going to help you in um, in the event of an emergency. Um, so uh, Delta is a company, Starbucks is another one that offer incentives. Um, some of them will put, would put like $1,000 in if you take a financial course. Um, but the the biggest one that is that that I kind of like is um, um, I think it's called Payday or um, and they have a credit card where they rather than paying their employees cash, they will put money on this credit card, which can be then used for emergency purposes. So it's kind of a way of, and, and I think it's very important to for employees to save for this. You never know. What do you, how do you feel about this, Billy? You've been in the workforce oh, for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I need to save for emergencies. I mean, you really do. I mean, yeah. it's before the pandemic, you didn't think so much about it. But mm. now I think, um, you know, people are saying, hey, what's going to happen if I get sick? Oh, God, you can't mm -hmm. even talk about groceries let yeah, alone talk That's, about yeah. savings, let alone talk about savings for emergencies. Like there's so much challenge now with putting away money. If your employer, where your money is coming from, could get directly involved, yeah, give us right. a little more reason and incentive to go this route. Yeah. Like what's the, what is, mm -hmm. um, you know, what's the negative in this at all? Yeah, because there's a lot of money we can get through, but in, in our sense for down the road. So something that allows, and we know these are things that happen is all the time. Benefits don't cover off or help you that way. Mm. They help you don't. get sick and to, to some don't. degree. But they always used to say, keep X number. Make sure you have enough money in the bank, X number of paychecks. Yeah, yeah that's right. And they, they already do this in all these other ways, right? Like um, employee rewards of different yeah. kinds you know matching contributions some places bonuses yes, but with long-term so freelancing now yeah. there's so little that people who are not full-time on a contract or whatever yeah. get and a lot of places are are saying we're hiring out this this so therefore the people hired to do it you don't have that connection then that makes it even less possible for them to have coverages mm -hmm. and protection that we need especially when you look at something like this thanks willie thanks a lot same old B joins us Wednesday <laughs> through Fridays. That's Billy Shackleton with the buzz. We settled back with him and he brings us some items to discuss. And you can also check out the best of the buzz available via podcast. Simply subscribe by looking for it using your favorite podcast platform. Coming up in the second hour of the program, why do people say don't be last to apply? We discussed this on our CNIB Come to Work segment. And the fall colors have audio describer J.J. Hunt thinking about Nagagosha, Turkey, a landscape filled with strange rock formations that people carved homes into. We'll learn more about his travels to the region in a little while. But up next, New Brunswick community reporter Marisa Hersey-Meisner tells us about an opportunity to play blind hockey at a new hockey arena. We'll get into that conversation to begin Hour 2 shortly. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
usual. So much content on the program. Every day you can expect that from us here at Kelly and Ramya. Ramya is at main campus in our studio there in Toronto. Kelly McDonald, right here at the home studio, London, Ontario. You, wherever you are in your little location there, thanks for being with us. Very much appreciate your time. As we settle in for the second hour of the program, remember first re repeat of the show on AMI-audio and AMI-tv, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Rum? Yes, I'm here. It's time for a community report. Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays to kick off the second hour. This is what we do. We check in with our friends from across the country and find out what's going on over there in disability news, events, and just fun things, fun things all overall. Marisa Hersey-Meisner is joining us now from St. John, New Brunswick. How's it going over there, Marisa? Oh, it's a beautiful sunny day here, 13 degrees clear, so it's uh, beautiful. Lovely. And um, to add on to that beautiful, we're going to talk about an opportunity for New Brunswick blind hockey or is it blind hockey? Ball hockey. Blind ball hockey <laughs> as an opportunity for people to check out. So uh, describe this for us and what's going on with the opportunity. Well, recently, uh, St. John Common Council has um, given the green light to go ahead and build a and construct a uh, ball hockey arena facility and this uh, facility will have inside and outside rinks and I thought this is a great opportunity for blind and or para uh, ball hockey fans and and those that would be interested in participating in ball hockey to get to get engaged, to get uh, active and participate in ball hockey. I mean, who, I mean, after all, we are Canadian. We, we all love hockey. So uh, why not uh, try it out? And so I, I thought bringing this to uh, our community's attention uh, that, you know, they can start preparing to, uh, you know, get their teams together, do some practicing and that sort of thing. And then once the facility is up and going, they can be ready to, to play the game. Now, this is kind of a um, not so common blind ball hockey, I think, at least generally speaking. So do we know what the the kind of uh, registration or just awareness of what it is in New Brunswick? in St. John? I don't know that there's, uh, I know that uh, for ball hockey, there has been a big uptake in, in uh, individuals participating in it from uh, Gary Crossman, one of the local uh, league um, presidents, vice presidents, has uh, basically said that uh, the numbers have gone from 250 individuals to 500 within the last uh, year or two wow. years. So, yeah. and and it's less expensive. Uh, ball hockey is less expensive than regular hockey. So that's one of the reasons why I thought this might be a great opportunity mm. for blind individuals or, or even those individuals with other disabilities to get involved in, in trying it out anyway. And yeah. I do know that uh, there is some pucks that are uh, available uh, that has um, some audible sound to it. So, yeah, it would make it accessible. So yeah. I thought it's, it's uh, it, such a you different know, one, right? It's such a different. Up. 
it's such a very different sport in that sense because your stick doesn't have to be the kind of stick that you have on an ice rink. Your ball doesn't have to be as necessary as as ability rugged to take the punishment um and and it's it's it can be that sport that a little bit more inclusive for many people now again i don't know a lot about the rules and that kind of thing but it's one of those things that would be kind of cool is it to see it blow up there a little bit and people come out and maybe people feel um, a bit more hey i can do that i may not be able to skate but i could run around and do that well exactly and that was my thought because you know um skating like you said um you know there's there's some orientation like you can possibly get a little bit more dizzy or you know with the whole uh the feeling underfoot where if you're on solid ground you know you're you're more apt to feel like you can navigate and orientate around uh to get that ball and and to to make that goal yeah yeah, that's really great. But I, I kind of like that. I mean, I understand there's it's it's to each your own and what you kind of like. But that cost thing too, really nice. If you break a ball, break a stick, or bend it, it's a it's a bit of a different uh, different feel. Um, your second topic is a CNIB uh, CNIB get on board campaign. Yes, uh, CNIB, uh, the first part of October, I think it was from October 2nd to the 13th, they had a get on board campaign, which meant uh, individuals uh, with sight loss would get on board uh, public transportation and um, kind of do a survey of the barriers and the uh, challenges that we all face from you know, bus stop uh, navigation, wayfinding to uh, lack of audible announcements and, you know, uh, lack of audible pedestrian signals, those types of things. And um, so uh, Moncton was one of the uh, cities that had participated in that uh, event this year. And uh, there was a great turnout of uh, passionate, um, enthusiastic advocates that wanted to let the decision makers um, become more aware of the challenges and barriers that they face on a daily basis. And so the mayor, um, Dawn Arnold uh, of Moncton, she actually had made the comment, you know, I, I, I'll never take my eyesight for granted again, because she was able to see the, the challenges and the barriers. And she actually had put on the, um, the goggles, the simulator goggles that CNIB uses uh, to, um, to help bring awareness to uh, vision loss. And so uh, she really had a wake up call. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And and I think that's what it takes for people sometimes to, whoa. I mean, nobody can understand what each person goes through. We can't ever walk in anyone. I don't care what the situation is. Anyone shoes 100%. We can try to understand on an empathy level. Okay. But if you have some kind of idea, uh, and I know that was one of the things that people, when I was growing up, were the most frustrated with because they wanted to understand, but recognize, well, I'm, I'm never going to have hopefully, you know, his vision to understand uh, fully, or they'll say, oh, but is there a way I can learn? Can I find out? Can I, for a few moments, at least have a perception? And it is so hard, isn't it, Marisa? It It is, because with, with vision loss, there's a spectrum. There's a, you know, there there's such a wide range of, you know, what 
what a person can see. Some people mm-hmm. can see anything. Some people can see That's light. Some people can actually read with a magnifying yeah. glass and so on and so forth. So it is, um, it's one of those things that's even difficult for us to say, you know, <laughs> what, what yeah. challenges that we have and, and yeah. that sort of thing. And so in transit um, in New Brunswick and, and transportation has really been a major barrier, uh, especially in rural areas, but even in the large municipalities because the bus stops aren't accessible and, and so on and so forth. So I was really happy to hear or when I spoke with Debbie Jeffries after this event that she also plans to have um, uh, more events next year uh, that would be including St. John and Fredericton because there, there are definitely barriers in, in the other two larger cities in the province. So we would like to uh, get get that information out there and, and CNIB with their, uh, their recent uh, announcement of their strategic plan uh, the safe journeys. I think that uh, it's a great way of, of advocating and bringing awareness to the issues. Yeah, I, I think that it's interesting the approach of, you know, get on these transportation modes with us and not the um, some of the older ways of campaigning for these things like here, let's simulate what it's like for a blind or partially sighted person to get on transport, right? I think that we're really starting to understand it's more of a collaborative approach. Uh, Let's all experience this together so we can understand. We were talking yesterday, I was talking yesterday with Mathieu Rochette, our community reporter in Montreal, with uh, around similar things in different areas, right? Where we're talking sports being played inclusively with a bunch of people Um, or other things where you're saying, it's not... For me to have you experience these things the way that I would experience them, but let's do it together so you can actually understand what the difference is, what the gap is in experience. So it's very effective, I think. Uh, You want to talk, the last thing before we let you go is uh, Murray McLaughlin being invited to the Imperial Theatre. Yes, um... Murray McLaughlin is um, a 11-time uh, Juno Award winner. He, he also is a Order of Canada, and uh, he's he plays uh, wonderful uh, folk country music, well known here in Canada, not so much uh, in the U.S. But uh, anyway, he's going to be here on October 26th at 7:30 at the Imperial Theater tickets will be uh 68.25 so that's not too bad and i think it's going to be a, a really good show he's going to be uh playing his new album and probably a little bit of new and old uh, music so i think that'll be a good night fantastic Maurice, i'm glad we squeezed that last one in um obviously a great get and people will probably very much look forward to the visit thank you so much for the community report Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Marisa Hersey-Meisner joining us from St. John, New Brunswick for her community report. And you can tune into these reports during the second hour, Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So much to pick up from our community reporters. Thanks, guys. Always, always wonderful. We uh, still have quite a bit more show left for you. Up next, think of those fall colors, ladies and gentlemen. I I really need you to kind of... Picture those, if you can, mentally, close your eyes, relax, get ready for them, because the fall colors have audio describer J.J. Hunt thinking about Cappadocia turkey. 
Next, we learn about his travels to the region, and he paints some beautiful pictures for us. Stay tuned. When I first started doing TV for AMI, one of the first items we were charged with doing, we were told, guys, go out, get a nice story. And this was really new to the company. And what did we pick? The fall colors. Mm. We went out and did a story on the fall colors in Dorset, Ontario. And I've had people stop me today. This is like more than 10 years later and say, you know, I really like that piece you did on the fall colors. And me as a colorblind person, I just shook my head and said, wonderful. We, we actually met some people at the Dorset Tower where we went and had them describe colors to me, describe what they were seeing. We took different, what really had them engaged and what they were enjoying about what was in front of them. So it, it really did make a very interesting piece, Rum. And I bring this up because we love those depictions. We love the interpretations and the descriptions. And we bring audio describer J.J. Hunt in here to talk a little travel with us, which allows you and I and everybody on board to get some real interesting pictures. JJ, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? All right. Feel like traveling, though. I'm mm -hmm. going to tell you that. <laughs> Got the travel boots on. Here we go. I'm going to oh, just wind yeah, up the yeah. time machine here. Here we go. We're going to go back, 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 back in time with JJ as we travel back to Cappadocia, Turkey. And I think I'm saying that right, I believe. JJ, welcome. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Cappadocia, Cappadocia, Cappadocia. I, I've heard it pronounced lots of different wow. ways. I'm not actually wow, Turkish, like so I don't really know how it's pronounced. But yeah, the colors that are out there in Ontario right now, it's not this isn't the most vibrant season that we've ever had in the with the reds and the and the yellows and those like the really coppery colors, the deep rich oranges, the golden yellows. It's not the the most vibrant fall we've ever had mm -hmm. uh here in Ontario, but still those colors, those the the leaves turning with some green left on uh in the evergreen those colors reminded me of of the fall that I spent in Turkey when I backpacked there a long time ago in the in the late 1990s so some of my uh my memories are a little bit a little bit foggy <laughs> but going I got to flip through my photos and go back uh and, and try and remember those times uh and yeah the, the colors the landscape of course totally different but the fall colors are, are very much the same yeah, of that region Though your your memories aren't as vivid as the colors. So you want to talk about the landscape first Please. so we can get the picture? Yeah, it's just this landscape is really, I mean, it's surreal. Uh, so this landscape in the central region of Turkey, it, it's it's quite magical. The, the, the plateau is pierced by several volcanic peaks. And eons ago, those volcanoes covered the land with ash. And over time, that ash became relatively soft sedimentary rock. And the volcanoes that were spitting up that ash were also spitting up chunks of much harder rock. And what happened is over millions of years, erosion turned the land into a very strange place. The soft and the soft sedimentary rock erodes really quickly, but the harder boulders 
those erode more slowly. So the, the the shapes that took place in this landscape were these boulders would protect the area of sedimentary rock directly beneath. And so you'd get these strange rock formations beginning to emerge. Sometimes they're called fairy chimneys or hoodoos. They are, some of them are cone-shaped because you've got this protective rock on top and then the land underneath it is cone-shaped. And or sometimes they're like pillars. If it really gets eroded away, they're like pillars of rock wow. with oh the stone goodness. on top. Sometimes they look like abstract figures. I have to say some of them are incredibly phallic um, because that's just the way the rock has eroded. Um, and the colors are like a lot of gray rock with hints of mossy green or those dull browns. The peak, the harder rock is often uh, a little bit darker than the structure beneath. But then at sunset or at sunrise, when the sun's coming straight across the, the kind of desert plain horizon, um, the colors become almost golden, these terracotta reds. And that's where you really get the the, the, the super rich colors. It, it, it's, it's just a, a, a really surreal, magical landscape. Um, how is this landscape, because this is a lot of work of nature, right? So yeah. how are the people utilizing this uniqueness and in their worlds uh, in their everyday lives? I mean, it's just amazing. So, I mean, these rock formations, I mean, they're not just whimsical. Um, because they're everywhere and because this is a land that's been inhabited by people for a very, very long time mm -hmm. um, and the rock is so soft, people figured out that you could carve it relatively easily. And so sometime around like the fourth century, people started carving small caves and then later full homes out of these wow. rocks. My so goodness. In, in oh, some places man. in the desert, you find these like these rock walls that have been carved with like several small caves and then long rows of caves and they end up looking like like cave motels um <laughs> with all these like <laughs> niches carved into the rock rock wall or then you'll get a huge cone that's several stories tall and people will turn that into a single massive home with lots of different rooms carved into it rooms that lead to other rooms staircases carved in in some cases and you can you can find if you go out into the desert either uh, uh on a uh, you know in a on a van tour or i i got to ride a camel into the desert um you can find these little villages of conicals like stone buildings that like this it looks like fantastic mansions right from the flintstones um really? yeah they're they're really <laughs> something oh now in your research about it, because I know you did that little bit of what the heck are these or why should I go yeah. check these? Out? Well, yeah. um, any idea what they estimate kind of tools they carved them with? Obviously, some kind of rock tool, I'm assuming rock, heavier or harder rock. But I wonder how long it would take. You know, in, well, that's in it. theory, how soft was this? Right. Yeah. And I protective mean, protective against rain, like uh, eventually your house would wear away. But I guess not if you're still finding them today. Well, that's it. They they do erode uh, and they erode slowly over time. But, uh, you know, if if you if you take the time, you got a hard tool. Again, I think I think you're right, Kelly, probably it's like hard stone to begin with carving that out. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it would take a while, but I mean, not as long as building, perhaps like no. what, what are your building uh, tools? What other opportunities do you have in the region? And I can tell you in, in the town that we stayed in, that's close to this, this landscape, Gorame, many of these, these carved out rock structures are 
are in town. And and when I was there in the 1990s, even as a backpacker, I could afford to rent a room in one of these hotels that was basically made out of carved out stone. Yeah. And so I had a room that was like, there was a big thick wooden door installed in a carved out stone doorway. And then the bed platform was was solid rock. So, I mean, imagine you carve out a room and then you decide, oh, that's where the bed's going to be. I just won't carve that part. So the bed platform is just built into the floor, into the wall, like it's part of the room. Yeah, it's just a Flintstone bed. Right. Yeah, it truly is. And then, oh, yeah, we want a bookshelf over here. So we'll carve a little bit more. And so that's how the bookshelf got put in. And I remember getting in there with my, you know, just pulling a flashlight out of my pocket and scraping the butt end of the flashlight against the well, just to like not not carving mm. my name in or anything, but just how soft is this? And yeah, you could you could you could chip away at that. So I imagine with some dedication, clearly, and and you know some of these spaces are are are, are absolutely gorgeous and 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 turned into into religious buildings, churches and whatnot, mosques and 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 there are painted ceilings, um, uh, the frescoes on the walls and ceilings. So people have been using these spaces. For I was a just going to ask you. And I was wondering if some of them are actually legitimate places now that are open for business that people mm. could, they could have put some lighting in or whatever and use for yeah. certain ceremonies. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the religious, like the buildings that are still, uh, um, uh, the, you know, that have been painted and, and are used for religious services, I think a lot of those buildings are still in operation. I don't know if a, a backpacker could still go on a backpacker budget and get a room. I think a lot right. of the hotel rooms are like... No, they're they're Instagram gorgeous. These are high end mm. experiences now. Well, they know what they're working yeah. with, and um, I'm I'm wondering about like, do we know how much of the the electricity or the plumbing or any of that was taken into consideration or is taken into consideration now? Like, obviously, this is first of all, is this a typical way of building in this part of <laughs> yeah. Turkey? I mean, in in the region when you when you get way out into the desert and you're seeing these these little villages, those aren't inhabited anymore. Those mm. are mostly it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, I believe. Like it's mostly for tours. It's a national park, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so you go out there and you and you can experience those. Uh, the hoodoos, the fairy chimneys and whatnot in town where some of those buildings are kind of have been absorbed into the growing town. They have plumbing attached okay. and they have lighting attached, but you can't, it's not like you can bury the, the, the plumbing in the walls or you can bury exactly, the wiring no. in the walls. Right. It's exactly. kind of got to be stuck onto the outside. Uh, and, 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 you know, you just have to make do. And, and that, that's certainly what I remember it being like, 30 some odd years ago cables uh you know running along the wall to the light overhead and the shared bathroom was kind of out the door mm. and then there was a, a built-on you know proper bathroom that was built onto the outside of the building uh as it were yeah it was a yeah you have to get creative if you're if you're oh, gonna yeah. inhabit a cave and they right? became like a, a public space right more yeah, than exactly. anything. And, you know, like you said, maybe people have places they will stay in the other individual ones, the ones that are like the motel. But that is that rough. And like you say, Instagram, this is something cool, a unique experience and expensive. Do you remember, yeah, yeah. JJ, the scent of being in place, spaces like this or the sound uh, or just like the overall kind of energy? of it? When you say cave, I immediately think dampness, but obviously that may not be accurate at all. 
Especially yeah, there, a, a, it may be dry. Yeah, enough. that's it. I remember it being quite yeah. dry in mm-hmm. a lot of places. Wow. Um, but then when you'd get into the rooms, like in in the hotel rooms, for example, then you get a different kind of scent, which is because of the carpets. Like there's a lot of a lot of rug and carpet that's woven in the area, and so you would th- then you get that woolly scent of the right. carpet that's mixed with the dry dust of the stone, and and for me and and. And the carpets as well are a very similar kind of color palette. Those deep reds, those oranges, those golden colors. Uh, and, and so those colors, that scent, uh, the bedspread, I remember being on that bed, was it felt like a carpet to me. Like mm. it was just this really big, heavy knit carpet. And so that for me, that was a smell. It was a dry smell, but with that really earthy, animal, woolly carpet. Oh, so vivid. Wow. I just, I can feel it. And I know exactly what you're saying. The difference of the carpet, the difference of, of the bed cover. Um, You have, oh, sorry, you have a story about shopping, speaking of carpets, for a Turkish carpet. Do you want to share it? Yeah, I so I really enjoyed it. When I was visiting, I was straight out of theater school and I loved the theatrics of going and buying a carpet in a store in Turkey because there's a, like there's a whole experience to it. How you get pulled into the store, being served a cup of tea in a tiny little like this uh, this little beaker like the sensual beaker of a of a teacup and then sitting down and having uh, like a helper in the carpet shop just very casually lay out carpets in front of you as if like you know, no, you know, it's no more of a, of a busy day than if they were, you know, uh, folding laundry, and and they would unfold these carpets and they'd start telling stories that, about what was on the carpets. This row of triangle shapes here; these represent mountains, and this row of shape, they, these represent camel caravans, and and then these are, represent the evil eye, and these mm. represent. And, and I loved the storytelling. I loved the theatrics. And of course, my my girlfriend and I at the time we were just out of theater school. We had a whole code system set up for like, did we like the carpet? We would say it's all right. Oh, nice. But if we wanted the other person to get us out, we'd say maybe. And that was a sign for them to say we got to leave. And we had this whole system set up. <laughs> and in the end, I did buy a carpet um, that was one that was three different kinds of carpets rolled into one. Um, the kind of carpet that you would find actually used draped over the back of a camel. And I believe we have a photo of me sitting on a camel um going into the uh, going into the desert and if you can imagine the carpet kind of draped over the back of a camel and then folded <laughs> back up on itself the softest part of the of the bag is is a uh, is there to protect the the camel that that's a te- like that's actually rubbing against the camel the toughest part is right where the wooden and leather saddle sits on top and then once that carpet bag has been used for many many years so the salesperson told me they unfold it, they stitch it all back together again so you can get one single carpet that can be sold to a grubby backpacker uh, who's oh. looking for a souvenir. <laughs> and doesn't mind the scent. That's right. And is happy to yeah. have that scent stay with them forever. That is oh, so man. lovely. These experiences are so interesting to hear about. Um, we have other pictures. I'm not sure if we uh, know what we have next, but... Do you want to describe uh, some of the other kind of photographic moments you had in this part? Yeah, of I think there's one other photo that we haven't brought up, which is me sitting outside the carpet shop um, after we bought the carpet, uh, the the carpet 
salesperson said, let me get you a sandwich. I guess I'd overpaid <laughs> for the carpet. So he bought us a couple of these giant meat sandwiches and sat me down on a couple of carpet pillows. And so that's me in this picture is me uh, with the same shaggy hair, same shaggy beard, uh, a little bit more brown than gray back then. Mm. Uh, and with an evil eye necklace hanging around my neck, right? <laughs> now he does. Yeah, quick that's, now I'm all silver. silver. That's yeah, right. Now he's quick silver. Uh, what was the sandwich? What kind of sandwich? Meat. Say meat. All what, meat. What, what I don't even. Oh, it's just glorious. He doesn't know. Was, he left it alone. Like he didn't say what's in, in here. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, JJ, this is such so beautiful. It's so um, fun. Yeah, and and I, again, we could go on for ages with these images, with the thoughts, and 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 thank you for sharing as usual. We always look forward to the segment and look forward to what you bring to us next month in in any capacity. Um, so vivid, enjoy the thoughts of those fall colors that take you back. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you again soon. You betcha, sir. Join our travel chats with JJ Hunt on the third Wednesday of the month. Always a really good time, as you can tell. Coming up next on the program, why do people say, hey, looking for a job, don't be last to apply, smarten up. We discuss it next on our CNIB Come to Work segment in a couple of minutes right here on Kelly and Rumda. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Rumya return in a minute. Catch the Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific over there on AMI-audio. This week, Joita speaks to blind model and entrepreneur Angela Harris about her upcoming fashion show, which provides aspiring blind models with an opportunity to walk the runway in a fashion show. That's the Pulse this Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Pacific, and Sunday uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time over on ami audio available on youtube and your favorite podcast platform so brock richardson dropped us a message in uh, regard to our conversation with grant hardy earlier rum mm -hmm. uh his belief in part of the accommodations at school is sometimes the easy answer is we don't have the supports to help you today so brock just stay home mm -hmm. but when you look at kids with special needs not going on field trips he really believes that part of the reason that takes place is because the staff might actually be taking that child out of the usual norm. So the easy answer, once again, stay home. Yep. Um, that one, I definitely think really lends a lot of credibility because I think it becomes too challenging in their mind. Even though we have trained people who it, it shouldn't be, then we get into how disruptive might that be on the bus uh, for the other kids, for the people at the place we're going on this field trip to. And you just sort of stand back and say, how come we're worried about everybody else except said child? Yep, exactly. And why is the easy answer and the only answer often, sorry, going to have to sit out of this one, right? Instead of yeah. making the experience um, something we talk about, something we discuss and engage in to say, no, let's not, you know, have that as one of the options. Just sit yeah. that person out. Yeah, and I think that's the really nice way to, to word it kindly to say, let's just forget that option yeah. doesn't exist I'll just like it. no exactly. isn't a word mm -hmm. don't say it let's work mm -hmm. at it this way yeah kelly mcdonald with ramya muthan
And we have these parallels um, with employment as well, right? Often talking about uh, adulting and going into yep. work and how people with disabilities uh, engage or feel like we need to disengage with work. And sometimes the conversations are discouraging, but other times it's very, very encouraging, like when we have our monthly visits with our come to work friends. Uh, come to Work is a program run by the CNIB across the country. And today, Wayne Henschel is joining us, Director of Partnerships with CNIB. And Wayne, the question at hand today is why do people say don't be the last to apply? We're going to get into that, but the Come to Work team is continually working with a talent pool, venture pool, partner employers to open the doors to opportunities. You and Tracy, uh, who often both of you come on the show together, talk about all the ins and outs of these programs, the offerings, the networking. And speaking of that, coming up in October in Toronto and November in Vancouver is the CNIB Connecting the Dots Conference. So just to put that in people's awareness, because it is coming up and hopefully you'll get into that as well. But all this to say, why uh, this topic of don't be the last to apply? Why are we focusing in on this and what about it should we be focusing in on? Well, it, it, folks, it's Wayne here. So I think when you think about it, it, it's it's often about how do we how do we demonstrate those skills, and it's not just about being better than everyone else. It's about how do we demonstrate the skills that we are actively seeking, we are looking to actively engage, and as employers are going through their recruitment cycle, whether it is posting for the jobs and seeing who is applying early in the cycle, whether it is a organization that is putting out a call for a quotation from from uh, from uh, various vendors, right, as they're looking to engage with the venture pool side of the house, those providing products or services. They're, they're evaluating, right, uh, who are the folks that are going to be able to fit into their, their organization. When I say fit in, complementary to their organization, doesn't mean that they're looking for the exact same. They're looking for diversity of, of, of approach, but they're looking for some of those demonstrated, demonstrated skills that, that everyone really wants to see and observe so that they can be successful within their organization. And I, and I break it up into three areas, right? One is around tenacity. Are we tenacious, right? Are, are, we, are we not accepting that? Uh, I heard earlier about that no, right? Uh, no, it's not a, not a good answer. No, I can't do that. Well, what is, wait a second. Actually, I can. And I have a story to share. And every time you folks have me on here, I always have a story. But uh, I was meeting with a brand new talent pool from out in the Alberta region. Uh, just uh, just a week uh, or 10 days ago. They are a newcomer to Canada. This person is 19 years of age and they are a newcomer to Canada and they were pursuing higher-end mathematics. That's, this was their love since since, uh, since they were kind of got into grade school and were pursuing then uh, post-secondary and going on in, uh, for further studies. But they were told from their, from their home country, well, the algorithms aren't really accessible from a screen reader standpoint you probably should look at something else. And this was their teachers mm-hmm. telling us, their, their guidance counselors telling us, the school board telling them this. And they're saying, but why do I have to give up my passion? So you know what, know what they did? They said, all right, I'm going to create the solution. So this 19-year-old individual created a software as a solution, software as a service uh, business where they have made it so that the algorithms can go through and be accessible to their screen reader. And, and, and they're now turning that into their business and wanting to see, okay, how could they work on, on applying that out into the educational system here in Canada? A 19-year-old individual, one year in Canada, right? 
Uh, and yeah. and this is what they're tackling with that tenacity, right? That tenaciousness, nice. right? So I, I look at that and I say, that's what people are looking for. That's when I'm talking in partnerships, when I talk to uh, uh, employers, uh, when I talk to organizations that are looking to engage with diverse businesses out there, that's the skills that they're looking for is that tenacity. So if you're always the very last minute person, you're always the last one, you're just getting it under the wire. Are you demonstrating wow. the tenaciousness that is uh, is being looked for? No, you're not, right? And and I hate to use that term, no, but how do we demonstrate tenaciousness of, if I said I was going to do something, I'm going to do it. And by the way, don't tell me, no, you can't do it. I'm going to show you a way that we can do it so that we have that diversity of thought. The second thing is, uh, I call it respectful, right? And it's not about, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, all, all those things. It's more about how do we respectfully engage, right? So how do we how do we take this uh, activity? And if you've applied for a position or you submitted a quote uh, to to for for a bid opportunity, how do you re continue to engage with with respect in mind because you're demonstrating, hey, I'm here to collaborate. I'm here to be part of the solution as we go forward. I've I've demonstrated my tenaciousness by applying on time and with all the details that you're looking for. Uh, or with that quote, and now respectfully, I am following up. I'm, I'm, I'm continuing that conversation so that we can further that. So even if you don't get that job opportunity the first time, but that person that remembers interacting with you as part of the pre-screening application process, they remember that you were tenacious, you were respectful, then as new opportunities or other opportunities come forward, whether it's a new bid, a new quote for something through your venture pool side of the house, or whether it's the next opportunity that comes down, let's say it's a month or two down the road, they're going right. to remember that because you're that collaborator, yeah. you're, you're that tenacious person. And the last piece that I would say is detail-oriented. And when I say detail-oriented is, okay, if the application says you need to apply the following things you need to provide these as part of your application or the quote that you're being asked to give says you need to do these things or it needs to be done by a certain date if you leave it to the last minute then they're going to think okay they're they're are, are they really focused are they being intentional in, in how they're engaging with me or are they detail oriented no they they know their stuff they're bringing they're bringing their a game as the saying goes and the, and they're really looking to demonstrate that and, and wouldn't that be great to have on our team if we have a person that is tenacious respectful and is uh is actually detail oriented that can help us accomplish our goal as an organization or meet this uh requirement from a venture pool from a vendor uh management engagement and i'll pause there we we get thinking sometimes okay my going after this job begins when i appear okay maybe I get the door open by my resume, but really they're waiting for me to sit there, smile and talk to them and answer their questions. And I think a lot of what you're saying, Wayne, no, is it starts earlier. I also just want to mention, Wayne, the 19-year-old from Alberta. Now, I know recently uh, there's been money set aside for employment and for assisting CNIB with programs uh, out there. So congratulations, that aspect. But looking forward down the road, if we maybe can spend some time and talk about the, the beliefs that you have, the differences, things like that could make, as we're always talking about, let's throw resources. Today, it's been a theme on our show, the resources that aren't aren't there to help students and schools and stuff like that. But, you know, when, when money's put there, 
it's quite a charge to decide, okay, we've got some, we've got some extra support. What are we going to do with it? And and um, I don't know if that process has started, if even the money has shown up, but we we had uh, heard about that a while back out now. I'm just going to pause before I move on to the next question. A- am I right? Can we do that down the road? Yeah, and it actually ties uh, well into not just that individual, the the individual, the 19-year-old, but an individual that is in the financial services industry, right? And and as you look at that and look at, okay, how can we enable them with the right technology? So the technology tool, yeah. because if they currently only have a like the one individual that is a venture pool participant, they have they're they're trying to be a financial analyst, but their laptop is so old it's not even on Windows 10 or 11 exactly. or the current Mac S. It's so old. So how do we enable those elements to uh, set them up for success? Whether it's through yeah. grant opportunities, right? The, that we've had out. Uh, there was just a, an announcement from uh, from the Moneris team as an example, where they put out uh, as part of a Small Business Month, they put out a grant proposal, and they were intentional engaging not just CNIB, but persons with disabilities, small businesses that are starting up. Hey, would you, uh, we'd like to you to consider applying for these grants that are available to help along the path, right? And, and we, we shared out at CNIB, we're not, we're not the holder of that grant, but we're sharing it out to our 106 venture pool uh, members across Canada to go and compete for these opportunities. Because, hey, if you can get 4,000, 5,000, even 500 towards that opportunity, that allows you to now make that step, right? Being tenacious, being uh, being respectful, detail-oriented. How do we how do we then turn those ideas into reality, right? And, and yep. when you think yep. about the the software development cycle and, and that individual, that 19-year-old that I was talking about, they're saying, yeah, I'm still pursuing my, my education goals, right? So they're not finished yet. <laughs> but they, they, they're starting this business, uh, which is great. But they're also saying, hmm, do I want to go down the education path and, and become like a, a professor? Uh, or do I want to beca- go work for someone like a Microsoft or an Apple or someone out there that is so much looking for software developers? Because obviously they have skills, right? They have tenaciousness. Yeah. They oh, have yeah. the oh, adaptability. Yeah. So how do we make those connections work? And 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 that ties into the the second part of our question here. And what, Tracy was unable to join us here today, but uh, she would always be uh, mindful of, of sharing that uh, th- those elements of what we do within within Come to Work, whether it's a region like Alberta or across Canada or Ontario uh, or or British Columbia, wherever the individual is. Let's make sure that we're setting the goals that the individual is after, not the goal that CNIB wants to set or those potential funders, and and I, I say that with all respect. Again, I'm, I'm very respectful to the to the funders that support the programs and initiatives. But the important part that I, I I am mindful of as I as I share and engage and talk to many folks is we need to meet people where they're at, right? mm-hmm. and then based on the goals they have, let's then set meaningful goals so that we can build up that confidence, build up their their tenacity, build up those those elements because as it's all three of us on the call here can can share it's not going to be easy right it's not we never say it's going to be easy but we but we we certainly know we can do it right we we have many individuals that do it and some individuals just do it because they they need to and want to right so again our 19 year old individual that that just it wasn't that i was impressed although i was uh, I, I never put people up on a pedestal i was just saying this individual is demonstrating what we have been talking about in the Come to Work program, mm. which is we all come to the various pursuits that we have 
with our passion and our interests. We're going to come to engage and we're coming to work. And, and that attitude is everything. I think you folks have heard about the CNIB's strategic plan, the way forward, where the first pillar of that is about attitude is everything. And part of that is about the attitude of the wider community. But I also share that it's also part of us within the community itself is that our attitude helps us then move things and change things as, as we go forward. And, and the last piece I would share in just a, a personal note, because as uh, my daughter, who is, uh, is now in, in uh, second uh, year of high school, but in grade school, uh, she had invited me in uh, and, and I observed where people were being pulled out of the classroom while they were talking about technology. And I'm going, why, why are they being pulled out of the classroom? Like, I don't understand, right? And oh, those are persons with special needs. And I'm going, but why wouldn't they be learning about the technology with all the rest of us? Right? Why is it needing to be pulled separately? So my, my daughter now gets it, right, as we go forward and says, yeah, this is just Wayne, right? Uh, I think you've heard me tell the story. Uh, about where he introduces me as Wayne, her dad, not Wayne, the blind guy. Mm. Right. Exactly. Wayne, appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate all the insights as usual and the information about the offerings from the Come to Work program. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wayne Henshaw joining us for our monthly Come to Work segment, and they want to hear your feedback. So we will give you information on how you can do that uh, for future segments, for future conversations as well, but they'll be back in November. All right, great. Uh, coming up next, folks, as we wrap today's program, we'll take a look at what's coming up tomorrow on our show. We'll have our closing moment, and we'll start off taking a peek at what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown, their program on the network, 9 a.m. in the morning. Stick around. I think you can tell we have a lot of fun doing this show. Lots of great information settled back with Wayne Henshaw. And we can never get to everything, but there's so much there. Uh, I was really curious about Alberta because we know of the money that CNI had been given and that that could change 120 people's process and, and what they look for. So uh, do check out more of CNIB. Come to work and we'll have them back on the program. You can also go back and re-listen to segments on our show. And on Cup for Time on Fridays, we give you some extra stuff to even remind you and maybe some segments we pick out for you to go and enjoy as well. But you can subscribe to the Kelly and Rumya podcast, use your favorite podcast platform. And while you're in there, if you don't mind, give us a rating and review. The gang over at Now with Dave Brown on the air at 9 a.m. in the morning, also available via podcast so you can binge those guys and catch up on what they're talking about on their show or catch them on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. in the morning and repeat it throughout the day, uh, I think at... 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Rum, let's take a look. What's going on on their Thursday show tomorrow? All right. Uh, Samantha Estosta from the TD Lab is telling us all about their free TD plugin. It's called the TD Accessibility Adapter. Sounds like it's kind of bridging a gap between something and something else, so we'll find out more about that. Also, Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access, who usually joins them on a Friday, so there's a bit of a programming note, is uh, swapping over with Michael McNeely, and she's joining us or joining the team tomorrow morning on Thursday to give us some uh, information on what's going on in the world of books and literature. Fantastic. And again, their show at 9 a.m. in the morning now with Dave Brown and the team. Do check them out. They'd appreciate it. And uh, you can find them 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on MITV. 
Well, we do our closing moment at this point in the program, and this is an interesting one because you start thinking about different people. And uh, Roberts Irwin, on Saturday, this wildlife conservationist, celebrated the Australia Zoo's latest milestone. And for him, it has a connection to his father, late father, Steve Irwin. Well, this was a step, a special moment he wrote next to a video that is online that you can see. Uh, he said, I think Dad would be pretty proud that we've become successfully the first breed the turtle that he discovered, a rare, a unique species that is under threat in the wild. It's been given a second chance now. Robert talks uh, to the camera and holds up a baby Balsaya Irwin turtle. A species hmm. of the turtle, of course, named after his father, who found this turtle back in the 1990s. This is one of the highlights, he says, of his entire life and one of the most special moments for the Australia Zoo. The 19-year-old holds up the turtle in his hand and says this is the first of its kind ever hatched in a zoological uh, facility in the world. Robert went on to explain that this was the first turtle his father found out in the world and celebrated the hatchling. And of course, he proudly let the turtle go into some water as part of the ceremony, its first swim. Rum, now I watched this thing as he says, it's just so, so, so real. I don't know if you were a Steve Irwin follower at all. You ever see any of the shows? It's totally like a Jeff Ryman kind of thing mm -hmm. to watch, I'm sure. But it's the acting. I listened to the son speak, and he's captured his father's excitement and delivery. And again, you could listen to this, and I remember listening to his father saying, this is for show. There was a lot that he did, a lot of going out there, a lot of not, but there's so much in a style. And whether you like someone's style or not, you got to give them the credibility for sticking forward to who they are, even if you're sitting there laughing and saying, is this guy for real? Right, right. Is there someone you think of out there, an entertainer that you just like, are you for real that you don't even actually mind putting up with their little quirky style? I think of Kevin Hart immediately because of him oh, as a sure. performer, he's just so funny. Like he's a comedian, right? But then sometimes I was like, are you just saying this for saying this sakes? Uh, but this, by the way, is legacy stuff. Like oh, with yeah. this, Stephen, it it's is. so incredible performance and all that irony stuff aside. Uh, it is really, really incredible because his stories and his legacy lives on. I loved it I, as much as I would sit there and go, oh, my gosh, what crikey. But the point was there <laughs> were so many beautiful moments and so much you could learn. Speaking of learning, folks, 2 p.m. tomorrow, we're back here, Eastern Time. You can check us out on AMI-audio, AMI-tv. How can you tell the difference between a genuine friend and someone who is not a true friend? Well, of course, you know who's going to dive into that. Our friend from the U.K., Fern Lullum. Oh, we are going to get so cynical. Also, Curious Minds is back with Christine Malik. We're continuing on ChatGPT and Be My AI. Be My Eyes. Be My I Everything. Think Fern's our friend. I mean, I know we pay her, so maybe that's why. We're waving at you. Fedora's off to you. Talk to you tomorrow. Hi, everyone. It is Kelly and Ramia's Beth Deer here. Um, this week, I am going to talk to you all about family reunions again. I know the other week I spoke about my husband's family. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned that was his dad's side. <laughs> Um, and they're huge. They're the Belcher family. They're the ones that are like, have 573 people in the family. Crazy, crazy number. Um, but this week I want to talk about my mother-in-law's side of the family. 
and a family reunion that we are going to this weekend. Now, her side of the family is nowhere near as big, but I mean, still pretty sizable, especially for me, who comes from like a family of four back in England. Um, But it's really exciting for me because we are going to be doing like a Halloween themed Saturday night. And this is going to be Henley's, my daughter's, first real like Halloween experience. Now, I haven't seen anything upset her or like, you know, she's not really scared of anything yet. So I'm really intrigued to see how this pans out. Um, I am going as a skeleton and so is she. I thought it'd be kind of cool if we could go as the same thing. Maybe make her a little bit more into it. Um, But yeah, I just, it's crazy to me how Halloweens have changed. Like when I was a kid... We always used to go trick-or-treating, but it was interesting because we lived in a very quiet neighborhood, so my mum would actually go and hand out candy to our neighbors, or sweets as I would call them, for us to like go and knock on the door and then they would give us the stuff that my mum had already given them. Or if our neighbors weren't like into it that year, my mum would do like a scavenger hunt in the garden or yeah, like a you know, where you hide things and then you have to go and find them um, for our kind of like Halloween experience, I guess you would say. But I don't know how much like trick-or-treating is really a thing anymore. I don't know. Some people, some people are still into it. Some people aren't. I know we spoke with Mary last week on the show about her experience with trick-or-treaters and um, And she's still into it, which I love the fact that people still are. I totally get why people aren't. Um, But yeah, this family reunion is Friday and Saturday night. And the Saturday night is always a theme. And this year it's going to be Halloween. So I'm really excited for Henley to have a Halloween experience. She's only 18 months old, but she is really starting to understand things. Um, which is kind of mind blowing <laughs> to see and like, you know, watch her figure things out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I used to love Halloween and I still do like it, but it's weird now as a parent, like I understand why parents were hesitant of it and hesitant of their children going to, when you think about it, random people's house houses like asking them for food it's just you know (laughs) but anyway um I'm very excited about the family reunion we haven't gone in several years they have it every single year um they rent out like an old bible camp uh which is really really cool um interesting to me I had no idea but there is a bible monopoly I only know that because the bible camp that they have it at has the bible monopoly Um, but really, really fun. I'm excited for Henley to spend some time with some family that she maybe hasn't met as much or doesn't know as well. Um, and yeah, I look forward to hearing what all of our Kelly and Ramia listeners end up wearing for Halloween, if you're into that. As I said, we're going to be skeletons, so... Make sure to send in your pictures of yourselves in costumes if that is what you guys end up doing. Awesome. Bye-bye, everyone. 
Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.